If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to look there in a bit and then get to some of our key verses. But we have been in this uh, series, this is week three of Live the Life. Uh, for those of you who are newer here, we did uh, Life Together in January, and now we're doing Live the Life, and we're doing a, um, a life group series together as a church. We're processing through this. And I'm just going to say that my group and other groups that I've been talking to have been seeing the fruit of doing and living the life together. And I'm hearing testimonies and encouragement from folks. And so it's really, really encouraging to me. Uh, so session one, uh, just to bring you up to speed, was about showing up, joining in, and being real. So as part of the thing is just showing up, and that's taking a step. Like Pastor Todd talked about sometimes just taking a card and walking into a room you don't know is a step. So showing up this morning is a great step, but to get into relationship, you've got to show up, you've got to join in, and then you've got to be real. And Pam just did that beautifully for us. Being real is being transparent, not wearing the church mask. That's who we are as a church. Session two is about pursuing God, and it takes two things, time, which we all have loads of, and transparency. Time and transparency. And that's time with God and one another, and transparency with God and one another. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And so um, the next session, if you would, is about joining in. And so getting involved and being intimate with someone leads to a question, are you fearful of that? And I'm not saying it in a joking way. I'm not saying it is in a way to sort of gotcha, but... It is a big step to join in with a bunch of people that you don't know and just show up at their house or even show up at church to a bunch of people you don't know. If you came this morning, it is a big deal for your first time just walking in. But I just have to say, and it's, it's, it's are you fearful? And it's okay to be fearful. I'm not, I'm not trying to pull that away from you. It's okay to be fearful. So today we're going to look at that, and if you look at Genesis 3, uh, I'm sorry, um, James 5, 16, up here, this is the verse for um, really this week, therefore, confess your sins to one another, we're going to be back in Genesis, and pray for one another that you may be healed, the prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working. Now, many of you might have memorized that as a kid, and you can say, confess your sins one for another, and you'll be healed, and you just say that, and, and you do it, but it has hooks in this, what it's saying. It has meat to it. It's not just something you just jive with. It's something that you have to take a step out in faith to do. So does that fearful, confessing your sins to one another, is that fearful? And I would say for most of us in this room, it probably is. It probably is to have to go to someone. And we're going we're to unpack what that looks like a little bit, but are you fearful of that? Just before the Lord right now, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but is, is that something that you fear? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10 um, we see Adam's response after they had taken of the forbidden fruit. They had recognized that they were naked, and God was searching them out. Adam's response to God, sort of, where are you, was, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid 
because I was naked and I hid myself. We see the first time since before creation, eternity past, that someone was afraid to be intimate, was afraid to be transparent because something entered in that got to the heart of Adam and Eve, something just, and we know what that is, the sin nature, the thing just came in, they, they saw what Satan had promised, they understood good and evil, and you don't want to understand that. There's just some things you don't want to know, and they, they saw this, and then they saw, they knew, and they hid themselves in shame before God. They, they knit out of leaves, and they covered, they covered stuff up, for the first time since eternity passed, this happened. So we had a problem with intimacy in the garden. We talked about the problem with loneliness. So in January, we talked about loneliness. Just a quick refresher. Half the people in the world are considered lonely. Half. Lonely. But today we're going to talk more about intimacy it's one thing to be lonely. It's another thing to fear intimacy. And I'm not, this isn't a got you moment. I want to unpack some, some things for you to address in your heart. So this one thing about Oasis, we don't believe that I can convince you. I don't believe that I can convince you and I can make you do anything. All I can do is present you with truth and we sing about God as we did, and, we, and you draw in and you're going to be obedient to God or you're not. But sometimes you have to ask yourselves the hard questions. Erwin McManus said this, and I want you, as you read this, I want you to identify internally, not to your person next to you, which part of this that you are. We are most alive when we find love and intimacy. Maybe you're there. We are most devastated when we lose it, maybe you're there. We are most empty when we give up on it. Maybe you're there. And most inhuman when we betray it. Yet most passionate when we pursue it. Where are you? We all go through different phases of life. We all have different spectrums that we're on right now. And I would love to say that I am always passionate and pursuing love and intimacy. And I've got it all figured out up here. And I'm just trying to get you dregs of society to join me. If you don't know me yet, I'm being sarcastic. Um, but are you, in the season of when you're alive with intimacy and love, are you devastated from losing it? Are you empty because you've given up? I think that empty one is the scariest one of all. When people give up on love and intimacy, it not only hauls out the inside, dredges out your inside, but it, it cannot be contained to despair, and it affects other people around you. Or maybe you're in the midst of betraying it. 
But maybe this morning, you're just riding the roller coaster of the Holy Spirit and everything's great. And that's cool. That's cool. But I want to ask some questions. So I went to a highly scholarly, high, a scholarly article to find six signs of intimacy issues. And it's Reader's Digest. Uh, so... <laughs> But before, yeah, I looked all around. I literally have access to like a bunch of libraries and everything, and this is actually the thing that like made sense to me. But I will give you a, a, a brief, if you were to look around and on each pew, if you were to have one or two person per pew in this room, that would be roughly the, uh, so probably 20% of the people in this room is a better way to say it. 20% of the people in this room have intimacy issues across the board of America, or actually the world, 20%. And I think that's conservative. That's what a scholarly article said. I question that. I think it's much higher, but I'm gonna be conservative here. 20% of people in this room, on average, have intimacy issues. So here are six signs that you may have intimacy issues. And as you're reading this, as you hear me talking, I am not here to bring shame or guilt or defeat upon you. I want to present you with a way to examine your heart by the Holy Spirit and, and even self-diagnosed because the Spirit brings conviction and when you see something to go, yeah, and I want to say, I have rolled through many of these. So don't feel alone. Please do not feel alone. Number one, you are angry a lot. It's a sign that you may have intimacy issues. You might just be an angry person, but one of the signs is that you're angry a lot. And I'm not talking about just in general, uh, just sort of every now and again you lose it. I'm not saying when the kid drops, you know, your favorite uh, glass container on the ground and you just get angry and it's just like, oh, you know, mom has intimacy issues. I heard the pastor say, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. You know, she has issues with you dropping that stuff because you were playing around. But I'm saying that the whole of who you are is angry. And, it, and it's just there, and it's easily reared up. It comes natural. It's just part of it. And, and here's the thing. Oftentimes, you think that you're not. That's the hardest part. We paint much prettier pictures of who we are than what the reality is. Like, I love it when my wife can Photoshop an image and take a couple pounds off. <laughs> you know, these moles that I have and all that stuff, you know, my hair's out of funk, I didn't get my hair cut in time, whatever. I, I, she can make that right. But she can't make it right if I'm angry. And if you're here with us and, and you are, are married to a spouse that's angry a lot, I'm not saying that they have intimacy issues, but I'm saying that they might. And I'm saying if you believe all that we sung this morning and you believe God is able to heal that, then you should be pursuing him in this. There is no harm nor foul with admitting that you're an angry person that you need help. I've told the story here before, 
but I probably was 20-something before I realized I was an angry person. I'm not kidding. I used to think I painted a good picture of myself. I can go back now and look at things that I did, and there's reasons for a lot of it. I'm not saying that it was just that I'm just an angry person, but there was a lot of childhood stuff in my life. Some of y'all had it far worse, but there was, some, there was not a pretty picture sometimes. But I realized that I was angry a lot, and I used to blame everyone around me for it. They tip the glass and bitter water comes out, and I was responsible for the water. So you're not alone, but you have to ask yourself, are you angry a lot? That's one sign. Two, you're scared not to be perfect. I had to think about this because, believe it or not, I, I look in the mirror when I prepare a sermon. And I just go, where is this hitting me? And at first I thought, ah, this is not really me. But then I look at, you ever heard these things called coping mechanisms? You know, these ways you cope with things? My coping mechanism has been to admit how messed up I am so that you won't have a higher expectation because I want to be perfect, but I don't like not to be perfect. And so it's like I just sort of drop the bag out and say I'm not perfect so everyone knows as a way to safeguard myself from the pain of not being perfect. So are you scared deep down not to be the best spouse, best mom, best dad, best this, whatever, all that fear of failure and lack of perfection is driving you? Number three, you're there in body, but not in spirit. You're there in body, but not in spirit. I don't want to admit how many times my wife would tell me, I know you love me, and I know you're here, but you're not here. goes back to that Boy Scout Christianity thing. You do the right things. You're there. You're present. You do whatever. You, you work hard. You do all these things, blah, 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 and you check the boxes. But you're there, but you're not. It's the third sign that you might have intimacy issues. Number four. Your record precedes you. That's just the way Eric is. We've tried to change it forever, but that's just the way that he is. Or that's the way she is. We just put up with it because that's the way she is interchange either way. It doesn't matter. Your record precedes you. You might look back on a history of failed relationships and you might look and say that you were not to blame and you justify yourself and you blame everyone else in it, but there is a pattern of failed relationships in your history, a scorched earth of friendships that didn't last 
And one of the reasons may be, it might be just that they were messed up, I get that, but the other reason may be that you may have intimacy issues. That's just who, insert your name is, is we can't do anything about it. I almost want to start preaching there. That is not the gospel. We can't do anything about it, but we know who can. Does your record precede you? Has your spouse just gotten used to that's just the way that they are? Number five, you're married to your job. Your job is the thing or was the thing or has been the thing that has formed your identity. And maybe you've been a hard worker and you're doing all this stuff, but your job is where you get your source of satisfaction and dependence. And maybe you justify it by a lot of different means. And it's not wrong with having a job. Don't get me wrong here. <laughs> I got to quit my job because I want to be intimate. I'm in. I mean, yeah. We all quit our jobs. We're, we're going to be the love church. Uh, I'm kidding. But your work is your life. And maybe that's just the way that you are. Number six, you're wearing a mask. One of the blessings that I get, it's a blessing and a curse. One of the blessings that I have here is that I see, have seen many Folks pull the mask off, some for the first time. I've just seen it just be able to be come off, and it's like, and the first question when we drop our mask is, am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be loved? Is this person going to stay with me? If they really find out who I am, are they going to be gone like everyone else was in my life? Besides, but I didn't have him there all the time, and that was not his fault. But some of you that didn't have anybody... and had some horrific things happen to you? I can't imagine. Because here I am at 49 years old, and I feel as though I can comfortably say, not that I have been completely delivered, but I, I think I had intimacy issues. I probably still do to some degree. And that there are many reasons why most people will say in your childhood... All these are the scholarly, scholarly articles. In your childhood, the trauma that happened from your childhood has such an effect with how you react to other people 
that it, it is carried with you like a, a lead ball with ball and chain behind you, and you carry that, and you carry that, and you carry that your life. And I would say until you are able to be intimate with someone, with others, I'm not going to say blare it out on Facebook, but until you're able to trust that intimacy is a safe place, that this truly is a safe place, that my life group is a safe place to experience love and grace of Jesus, that my, my journey group is a safe place, that my counselor is a safe place, that my spouse is a safe place, then you begin to sprout out with these different safe places that you can begin to address these six issues in your life. So are you angry a lot? Deep down, are you scared not to be perfect? Are you there in body, but not in spirit? Does your record precede you? That's just who you are. Are you married to your job, and are you wearing a mask? Intimacy with the Lord, the best way I've ever heard it saying, is that we're able to go into me, you see. The fact is, how I'm made up, I look inside, I don't like what I see. I see all the wrong, I see all the faults, I see all the lack of certain abilities or things that I should have, couldn't have done. I am the most critical person in my life. But being into me, you see, being intimate with God and one another means that it's acknowledgement that I am not perfect, that I can take the mask off, that I can be intimate, and then there can begin to be a bond of trust that forms with one another. And as I have seen it, it has spread as you've gained trust with groups of people. And, and this just doesn't happen by walking up crying, and, and there's nothing wrong with it, coming up to the altar and just going, I'm tired of this guy. This is something that is progressive. It's, it's, uh, there's a word for it. It just takes time. It's not just a one and done thing. God delivered me from a lot of pain, but it was a process of accumulated trusting in God and other people to where now it's sort of like I can feel Fairly confident, not that I've attained, but that I am being more and more freed from many of these things than I've ever been in my life. But at a minimum, 20% of you in this room are dealing with some of these things, and it's because of intimacy issues. So now we're going to close in prayer. No, I'm just... <laughs> trying to lighten it up a little bit. Like, whoa. Because, like, I'd say a lot, you know, a lot of us here have a couple of these things that are targeting pretty hard, and I know what this feels like. So what do we do? One is we got to address the issue. We've got to be honest. I am angry a lot. I am scared not to be perfect. I do, deep down, want your opinion of me to be good. And when I fail, it doesn't feel right. 
I am there in body, but not in spirit. I have done that uh, many times in my marriage. I'm there. But I'm not there. We've got to get to the point where we're willing to say, is this an issue I have? You might be just, everything's going great, and that's great. I just want to applaud that. But I know the statistics, and I know not everyone in this room is great. So what do we do? We've got to first seek the Lord. Look at Psalm 34. It's going to be up here on the screen. I sought the Lord, step one, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Does it say he delivered me from the situation that happened to me or you? Doesn't say that, right? Doesn't say that something never happened. But it's saying that he will, if you seek him, he will deliver you from your fears. So can we acknowledge we have a fear issue in the room? You remember the movie, right? Fear Factor? Like some of you can think you're fearless until they mix that stuff up and make you drink it. There's some, un, there's some fearful people going on there. I used to consider myself fearless. I think there's something to that young man thing. I'm not saying I'm there anymore. Shut up. <laughs> but I didn't fear anything. I didn't care about the past pain. I thought I could suppress it. Thought I was man enough. It's done, over, put a lid on it. You ever shook up a bottle? And watch the lid pop off. That's what happens. You think you can be contained and life just shakes you. Just shakes you up. And that's what you do. You blow up on everyone around you. And typically, you blame them. If they didn't this, if they didn't that. So first thing, though, I sought the Lord. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look what Oswald Chambers says. Fear, fear of intimacy can lead to depression. So I thought this was in the reading this morning. And I just pulled this one out. I added it to my sermon. A human being is capable of depression. Otherwise, there would be no capacity for exaltation. So right now, if you're going, man, he stinking pegged me with those six things. And I'm sitting, I'm trying to play my best poker face right now because people are watching. I know what that's like. And you, know, and you can just feel the heat around your neck. Like everyone's staring at you. No one is, but it's just like, I'm going to remain calm. I'm just going to sit there. I'm going to nod my head and sort of smile. He's like nailed me. All of us to some direction have intimacy issues. Let me just make everyone feel good. We all to some level have intimacy issues. But if it leads to discouragement and depression and lack of intimacy, those things will draw you 
as a child of God to exaltation of a God who can take care of you, the unlovable you, the one that has hurt people in your life, you, the one who is anxious, you, the one who is sad all the time, you, that you can bow before God of heaven and you can go, I exalt you, Jesus. For the first time in my life, I think I'm beginning to understand James. The trying of your faith works patience. Tribulation worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. We still have a problem. Revelations 12, 10 says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation of the power of the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. We have an enemy. You have an enemy. If you're a Christian this morning, you have an enemy, and it is Satan, and he is constantly accusing, accusing, accusing. But one day that will be put to the end. And it's almost like we hear the accusations in our head. You're a failure. You're this. You're that. And so he's always accusing. And so what we have to do is get to a point when we begin to hear those things, and they come in daily for many of us. Just come in. We've got to go to worship an exaltation of God. It all starts there. Someday, this, one day, the accuser will be finished and there will be no more sorrow there. There will be no more accusations. There will be no more burdens. But until that point, we are completely dependent on our King Jesus. And if we're not, then we are one of those first four things that we talked about earlier. So James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So what does all this mean? If we go to God and we're intimate before him, then he tells us that we're called to go to one another. And we confess our sins. Again, we don't go on Facebook. We don't tweet, you know, hey, I'm a sinner and it's all this. I mean, that's broad. It doesn't mean anything. But we go and we're specific with people that we can trust and say, you know what? I'm an angry person. I'm a distracted person. But I'm going to confess this to you now. And the promise here is that you may be healed. So getting together with people you trust and confessing your faults specifically brings healing. I'll just say this really quick as a point that um, about two years ago, roughly a year and a half ago, I don't even know how long it was, it just got revealed that I was sexually abused as a child. And I had to walk through that. And I walked through it in an ever-growing group of people. 
until one Sunday I could just sit here and say it to everybody. I used to cry every couple days. At first it was every day. Just tears would roll down out of nowhere. And I don't do that. But once I had just let it all roll out and just said it to this day, it's probably been at least a year, it's been gone. It's gone. Yeah, I'm it's excited. It wasn't a fun process, but it was the only process. It wasn't as though I had sinned with what happened, but what happened laid to bear how I could be intimate with other people and how I trusted them. And I know that there's a broad group of people that have lost trust in folk around you. But Jesus provides us an answer. Go to God. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your anger to one another. Confess your lacking to one another that you may be healed. And then pray. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. This I'm sure of, I cannot fix myself. I was unable to fix myself. I tried to fix myself and I got angry doing it. But when God, by the grace of God, began to unpack this heart, life became and began to flow back in again. My prayer for you as a church is that you will not be fearful anymore. Will people fail you? Yes. Jesus never fails. His commands to trust other people and to just trust him with that are true, and we've got to roll with it. Who do we believe, right? What are you going to do with what you've heard? Are you comfortable with that's just the way you are? for somebody this morning. I don't know who it is. I think it's for more than one, but are you comfortable with the way you are? I looked up at God in despair one night and said, why am I like I am? Because I didn't like it. Didn't like it. He has the power to free you from that. I can't do it. We can't sing enough to do it. But if you begin to follow after the principles that the Bible has laid out for us and trust the Spirit of God to heal you, I promise you he will. That's all I've got for you. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray together.
as uh, the team comes up, just remind you that um, communion we take here every week is a form of intimacy with God, is communion with God, and it's communion with each other. Jesus made it personal when he said, don't come and take communion lightly. Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, don't take communion lightly. You need to have intimacy and trust with the people that we call the family of God. So if something's not right, deal with that before you have communion. It's also an opportunity to give of tithes and offerings for the work of the church. It's a time that you can come up here and receive prayer. Maybe you can begin your confession this morning. It doesn't have to be up here. And maybe you have something else you want prayer for. doesn't matter. We'll disguise it as that. No one's going to be worrying about it. Maybe you just need prayer this morning. Lord, I, I pray that we would not be deficient in intimacy here. Lord, I acknowledge the pain that's in this room. I acknowledge some horrific things that have happened to people here that they've carried their whole life, life, Lord. I acknowledge maybe that there's some people who've done some horrible things. Lord, you have promised us that we can have intimacy with you and other people and that you will heal us. Lord, I just want to lay hold of that today and proclaim it. For that is the good news of the gospel. That's why Jesus died on the cross to break the chains of the guilt of our sin that we might stand whole as new creations, new creatures, ambassadors of Jesus that have had difficulty, but you have overcome that by the blood of the Lamb. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.